Hello and welcome to another episode of the Road Coach Podcast, where I share what I've learned from years of living on the road through research and experimentation to optimize my health and wellness in the hopes that perhaps you can fast track and not take as long as I did. Uh, so every uh, Tuesday and Friday we release a new episode uh, on a new topic and, uh, and try and give you some information that I've learned uh, through my travels uh, about different topics and what I've done to uh, sort of change my behavior and optimize my health uh, to get a little bit more out of every work trip um, and feel a little bit better when I get home from these trips. So if you travel a lot, Hopefully you're watching this on YouTube. If not, check out youtube.com slash at the road coach podcast where you can see everything that I've got pulled up on my screen at the exact same time. Um, if you're listening on audio on any of your favorite podcasting apps, thank you very much for listening and please share uh, with anyone you know if you find this information useful. So on today's episode, uh, first of all, I just had jaw surgery a couple of weeks ago. If you've listened to any other episodes, you may already know that um, and I realize that I've still got elastics in my mouth which makes it a little difficult to speak. It's only about 6.30 in the morning for me. So I haven't taken those out yet, so I'm just gonna take those out uh, so that I can move my mouth a little bit more. We're on the road to recovery, people. Uh, today's episode, I wanted to talk a little bit about alcohol and alcohol consumption because travel, whether it's for work or pleasure, often goes as hand in hand with alcohol, of course, right? Um, and alcohol has been around for millennia, if not longer. Uh, dawn of time ever since uh, you know the first fermented fruit accidentally got eaten by a human I'm sure we've been drinking alcohol ever since then and I don't know the entire history but I wouldn't be surprised if it was very close to that at our uh, at our last house my wife and I um, when we had our child um, we had a big apple tree in the backyard and every fall when the apples would ripen and fall down to the ground um, there'd be you know hundreds of them probably um, eventually they'd ferment on the ground and we used to go up, I'd have to go and rake them up. Um, and there would be like hundreds and hundreds of bees in these fermented apples, just absolutely hammered, stumbling around. They couldn't fly. Half of them were passed out, but they, they absolutely loved it. Um, so I'm assuming that, uh, eating fermented fruit or drinking fermented fruit juice um, to provide intoxicative effects has probably been around since the dawn of time on this planet anyways. Um, and when you're traveling, obviously airports, uh, alcohol you can get any time of day, um, hotels, there's lots of alcohol, you, you might be out, um, if, you're, if you're going for work, you might be out with colleagues or customers, uh, eating at a lot of restaurants, restaurants often go hand in hand with consuming alcohol as well. And um, it can easily get into a pattern if you travel a lot of drinking, you know, not necessarily drinking a lot, but you may find that you're drinking a little bit almost every single day. Um, and there's real science behind the effects of that. And that's what I wanted to go through today um, to see if it's uh, something that you may want to change in your own lifestyle based on what you learned here. So the first article I pulled up um, it's from the Journal of Primary Care and Community Health. Uh, this is from 2022, January. Uh, so issue 13. Um, so it's a very recent uh, article um, and it's titled The Consumption of Alcoholic Beverages Associated with Physical Health Status in Adults. 
secondary analysis of the health information national trends survey data. So this is talking about um, just overall health status and what um, and what they learned from from national data in the U.S. I believe it's the U.S. Yeah, it's got to be U.S. Um, so um, the things that I wanted to pull here were um, occasional alcohol consumption negatively predicted elevated BMI and chronic conditions such as diabetes, hypertension, cardiovascular disease, and cancer. And furthermore, alcohol consumption together with inappropriate eating habits, sedentary behaviors, and smoking. Again, a lot of things that go hand in hand with travel is poor eating habits and sedentary behaviors. Um, smoking may or may not go uh, when, you're, when you're away from home for work or for pleasure, but, um, and it increases the global burden of non-communicable diseases, uh, meaning those diseases that we don't spread to each other, but diseases that we still get on ourselves. Uh, it, or, or get for ourselves, um, it increases that burden. So right now, this article states, and, and you can go ahead and look it up. I'll put the uh, I'll put the link in the uh, show notes. But the consumption of alcohol causes approximately 3.3 million deaths globally each year, which is equivalent to just under six percent of all the deaths in the world. And retail sales of alcohol from 2019 to 2020 increased 14 percent presumably because of COVID and because uh, everybody was shutting their houses, of course. And then also the four months after February, 2020 represent the four largest year to year increases recorded in alcohol sales since 1993. So March, April, May, June, 2020 were the four largest year to year increases ever recorded since 1993. So I don't know what was happening in 1993. That must've been another time where people were drinking a lot. <laughs> We had to go back and look at what was going on in the world at that time. Some of the audience probably knows exactly what happened back then. Um, about four months in a row, we broke broke records for alcohol consumption. So that likely has a lot to do with COVID. Um, so those are just some, some general facts. The next one I pulled up here is um, uh, just an article called The ABCs of Alcohol or Alcohol in the Body. And it just goes through really how alcohol works. Um, how it's, uh, how it's absorbed in the body, what it does within the body. Um, and it's just a good sort of baseline, I find, to, um, to start the discussion on alcohol. So essentially, it's, it's transmitted by water. So most of your tissues get exposed to the same amount of alcohol as your blood. So that means that pretty much every organ feels its effects. It's not just something that you feel in your brain um, when the alcohol gets there, but because it goes through your bloodstream and is, uh, is soluble in, in water, um, every single organ gets drunk, essentially. So if you think about it that way, um, it's your motor skills, but also your pancreas and your spleen and your heart and your lungs, everything's getting drunk. So and nothing works the same way when you're drinking alcohol. Of course, the one exception is fat, because fat's not water soluble. And it's also the reason why, why women get more intoxicated than men uh, when they consume the, the same amount of alcohol, it's because they have a larger percentage of fat right? In their bums, in their, you know what's, and uh, they have less total blood volume on average than men as well, typically because they're smaller. Now, that may not be the case in every jurisdiction in the world, but for the most part in the Western world, that, that is the case. So um, uh, in this article, it tells you that, um, that alcohol is a sedative um, and that it's a mild 
uh, mild anesthetic, and it's obviously, it, we know that it's believed to activate the pleasure center or the reward centers in the brain by triggering the release of neurotransmitters such as dopamine and serotonin, produces a sense of well-being, relaxation, disinhibition, euphoria, and of course, that's why, that's why people tend to drink it, right? Um, talks about the concentration of blood alcohol and how quickly it tapers off, how quickly you can, um, how quickly you can metabolize it. It goes through what happens with heavy drinkers, um, and how quickly the, how, how the decrease in blood alcohol, uh, content decreases, um, for heavy drinkers. Um, so this is a really, really good article that goes through a lot of the different, um, a lot of the different effects of alcohol within the body. Um, it's interesting here that I, I thought this was very cool or very telling um, was they did a simulated driving test in bus drivers with a blood alcohol content of uh, 0.05, which is what we say in North America, but they, um, they measured it as 10.9 millimoles uh, per liter or 50 milligrams per 100 milliliters, which is the same as saying 0.05 BAC, which in Canada is the warning level. Um, can potentially get a ticket, I believe, um, at the officer's discretion, and then 0 0.08 is illegal completely. Um, they thought they could drive, so at 0 0.05, which is still legal, um, the bus drivers thought they could drive through obstacles that were too narrow for their vehicles. Once they got to 0 0.08, um, which is the legal limit, as I mentioned, also in the United Kingdom, I'm not sure about the US, I'd have to look that up, um, but the risk of a road traffic incident more than doubles, and when you get to 0.16, double the legal limit, it's a 10x increase in traffic incidents or accidents. So that's the research that uh, the legal limits are based off of. So essentially where we say you've had too much to drive, too much to drink to drive, that's where your increase of getting in an accident has doubled versus not drinking at all. So it's a, actually a pretty high bar <laughs> when you think about it. Um, we're saying that up until the point where your risk is doubled of crashing your car, you can still drive, which seems a little insane when you look at it that way. Um, so we talked about um, uh, alcohol being a depressant. Um, and of course, when we're traveling, especially if we're traveling for work, um, relaxing ourselves when we're out of our element is, um, is something that we often want tactics and tools to be able to do because we can be a little bit more stressed naturally when we're on the road. And so when, it's, when, we, when we intake a depressant like alcohol and it relaxes our muscles, our minds, our anxiety, um, that can be a really, really um, beneficial tool for people. Um, and especially if you're dealing with a lot of you know, acquaintances or strangers on the road, right? You're dealing with people that you've never met in hotels, in restaurants, in airports, in taxis, in, um, or you're meeting customers or colleagues that you don't see very often and you don't know very well, that social anxiety can be higher as well, right? And so having a drink or two takes that edge off. And so it's, um, it's really tempting for a lot of people. Um, and that's why, you know, alcohol has, you know, centered around social gatherings for, you know, for so long is, um, is that it reduces social tension. It helps people loosen up and get along better. Um, but it is a depressant. It's a central nervous system depressant. And this is here the, the, from the National Cancer Institute, what a central nervous system depressant is, but it's a type of drug that slows down brain activity. So it causes your muscles to relax, it calms and soothes the person. It can be used to treat insomnia, anxiety, panic attacks, and seizures. 
and they might be really used to relieve anxiety and tension before surgery. Um, and these are in the same category as benzodiazepines, um, which we have a major, major problem with in the Western world with um, overprescription, overuse, and abuse of benzodiazepines, barbiturates, and certain sleep medicines. Um, they're sometimes called sedatives or tranquilizers or a CNS depressant. So that's what that is. Um, and so on one side of things, people can look at alcohol and say, well, that's great. Like, that's exactly why I'm using it, right? I want to relax. I want to be less inhibited. I want to reduce my anxiety. Um, I've heard people say that they can't sleep unless they've had a couple of drinks, right? Um, and in theory, that's great in the sense that it's giving you the effect that you're asking for. Um, and it does help you fall asleep, but it actually doesn't help you stay asleep. And that's sort of a bit of a misconception, but that's alcohol is not good for sleep and it doesn't help you sleep better in the long run. Um, so this is another article uh, from the Korean Journal of Family Medicine in 2015, and it's about the effects of alcohol on the quality of sleep. Um, and so I'm not going to go through this entire article, um, but uh, there are a couple things that I wanted to bring up from it. And you can read the whole thing if you'd like. It's a very good article. Um, so even one alcoholic beverage will disrupt your sleeping patterns. Um, the authors state in this article that a number of studies have shown that drinking momentarily increases sleepiness, but later causes frequent nighttime and early morning awakenings. It was shown that rapid eye movement, or REM sleep, was suppressed during the first half of the sleep cycle, followed by an increase during the second half of the sleep cycle. So it could induce sleep at the beginning, but if sleep continues for a longer duration, the overall quality of sleep deteriorates due to the decreased amount of slow wave and REM sleep rebound. So especially in men with the research that was done in this, um, in this study, um, decreased drinking decreased overall sleep duration and it increased the number of disturbances. And I'm sure you've experienced this, that if you've had a few drinks, um, before uh, bed, you'll often wake up in the middle of the night multiple times and you'll wonder why. You, just, you know, you wake up staring at the wall. Um, and that's, that's why it's decreasing the sleep quality and it increases your sleep disturbances once the alcohol has, um, has left your body. And that's because once the depressant leaves your body, or sorry, while the depressant is in your body, your body's compensating to try and make you more awake. It's putting in all these chemicals to, to sort of counteract the depressant factors. And so as soon as you've metabolized it, now your body's in overdrive. And then those anxiety hormones and everything come back more, even they, they rebound even stronger because they've been, they've been your body's been pumping them into your system while you're artificially depressing it because it's trying to get you back to equilibrium. So then you have this rebound of, you know, super awake, energetic feeling um, or extra anxiety. And that's what happened. That's why you wake up in the middle of the night because your body's just like, boom, all of a sudden the alcohol's gone and I've got all these extra hormones um, in my system. So an another really good article here. This is uh, uh, from Current Opinions on Psychology uh, from 2019. And this is alcohol and sleep related problems. So again, um, a really, really good, uh, really, really good article. It talks about sleep related problems and alcohol association with sleep disorders. Mm -hmm. Um, how it works with our circadian rhythm. Um, really, really good, um, really, really good article again to read. Um, but it shows that a single drink can reduce your number of sleep cycles. Um, so there's stages. So you have um, three stages of sleep and then REM sleep. 
and, it, and you need a certain number of cycles, typically five of those full cycles through from one to three through to REM, you need five or more per night to have a fully rested sleep, essentially. And that's what takes about eight hours for most people. Um, and it, a single drink can reduce those sleep cycles from five or more to just three or four that same night. Okay, so that means that even if you sleep, quote unquote, for eight hours, you'll only get the equivalent benefit of three to five hours of sleep, even if you're in bed that whole time. So that waking up in the middle of the night um, is what's causing, is, is, is part of that whole cycle, right? Um, and it's often why if you drink before you go to bed, you'll wake up feeling groggy in the morning or not fully um, rested, even if you're not hungover. That, if that makes sense. Um, there's also a really, really good book um, called Alcohol Explained by William Porter. I think it's on Amazon. It's got to be on Amazon. Um, but I read this book a long time ago. Um, and this guy goes through a lot of what he learned because he had an alcohol. Um, I don't know if he calls himself an alcoholic, but let's say an alcohol overuse problem. Um, but uh, there's a lot of really, really good information in this book. So, and it's not a difficult book to read. Like I'm talking, it's maybe, what does it say? It probably says how many pages it is here. Uh, anyways, I can't find exactly how many pages, but it's maybe 200 pages or so. And it's big print. It's not a big book. It'll take you a couple hours to read. But Scott, he, he explains really well how alcohol works in the body and what he learned from drinking too much. Um, and I think anyone can use this information because it's really, really powerful. Um, but he talks about the fact that when alcohol leaves our body, our brain continues to operate at this heightened processing speed because it's, it's getting used to no longer being depressed. And so on a neurochemical level, our, neur our neurons are used to firing faster while alcohol is in inhibiting them. So once the alcohol leaves our bloodstream, the, the neurons don't react quickly to slow back down because they're already on this, you know, Newton's second law of motion, things that stay in motion, or things that are in motion will stay in motion and things that rest will stay at rest. Um, so if you think of it like you're running full speed on a treadmill and then the belt suddenly stops, you're going to fly forward head first because of what you, you can't, you can't instantly react to the different conditions that are, that you're now under. And the same happens with our brains. Um, and so the super firing of neurons after you sober up, it may not be perceptible, especially if you only had one or two drinks, but it is happening. So over time, the more you consume, the more you'll notice what used to be possibly a hangover now is accompanied by racing thoughts or anxiety or regret for what you did while you're intoxicated or what you didn't do while you're intoxicated. And sometimes this can last like a whole day or longer. Um, so whether or not you drink a lot of alcohol and a lot is different for every single person, of course. Um, even one drink before you go to bed will negatively affect the next 24 hours of your life. So, and this is all science backed, um, as you've seen through these articles. So if you want more information, feel free to reach out to me. You can see me, you can find me on Instagram at RJ Crate at any time. Um, find the podcast on YouTube and comment on it. Um, comments uh, on any of your favorite podcasting apps, um, reach out to me in any way you feel like you uh, would like to ask more questions. If you want me to do more episodes that are on sort of intoxicants and that kind of stuff uh, while you're on the road, I am happy to do so. Um, but until next time, I hope you're not only surviving on the road, but thriving even when you're out of your element. Cheers. <laughs>